Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Anyway, we're talking about filters. Today we're going to wrap it all up by talking about truth. Filtering what you accept as true in your life. Truth is. It just is. Right? It, it, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. Truth is. You cannot believe that two and two is four. It still is four, you know. So truth is. It's stable. We're going to be talking about that. But what you accept as truth will determine the course of your life. And that's the reason we're talking about, um, about truth today. Now, a lot of people, they think that it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in whatever you believe. But there are a couple of problems that came to my mind when I thought about that. The first problem with, that, with believing that is that you can end up believing a lie. If you say, all I have to be is sincere, well, what if you... What if what you believe is a lie, if it's not the truth? And you can end up getting hurt by that lie. And, of course, my mind immediately jumped. Some of you weren't even alive yet. But back in 1978, um, <clears throat> there was a, a terrible incident that took place down in South America. And uh, 909 followers of a cult leader by the name of Jim Jones ended up losing their lives as, they part as he led them to partake of Kool-Aid that was laced with cyanide. 300 of those 909 were children, and the parents gave their children the cyanide because this guy had such control over their lives. Now, these people sincerely believed what they believed, but they were sincerely wrong. Secondly, it can presume that there is no concrete objective truth. So if, if just being sincere, if you believe sincerely what you believe, and I sincerely believe what I believe, but they're not the same thing, then there's nothing that's concrete about truth. Truth becomes very fluid. It becomes, uh, it becomes re very relative, and that's exactly what has happened in American culture today is we believe in relative truth. We don't believe in concrete truth. And so what that leads to is chaos, And because if everyone um, creates his or her own, her, her own truth, then what you have is anarchy because our truths may conflict with one another, and I am... I impose mine upon you. So uh, in thinking about that, I, I immediately thought about this book in the Old Testament, which talks about a time in Israel's history that people were exactly like that. It was a time of anarchy and chaos. It's called the book of Judges, and it's a time when chaos reigned in the nation of Israel. And basically, this is the reoccurring theme of the book. You read it throughout the book over and over again. It'll say this. It's brought up in Judges 17, verse 6. Everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. And so when that happens, what, what comes from that is disorder and anarchy. Now, you may believe that your truth is the right truth, but that doesn't mean that, it's, that it is. You can believe a lie. Belief does not create fact. Real truth is solid. 
Real truth is concrete. It doesn't change. Real truth is built on God. It's built on what God has said. And it's truth no matter whether culture likes it, accepts it, or whether you and I personally believe it. It doesn't change. It's still truth. So you may believe something is true with all of your heart and be very sincere in your belief, but if your belief is wrong, if it's in error, it doesn't change the truth. Truth still is truth no matter what you believe. So have you ever ever seen the bumper sticker? You don't see it this time of year so much, but in the wintertime you'll see it every now and then, and it'll say, think snow. You ever seen that bumper sticker that says, think snow? It's like if all of us could start thinking snow, it would. One of the things that I have observed in life is that we could have everybody in this place all together think snow. I will guarantee you that won't change the reality of what's happening outside. We can all be sincere and think snow and have great faith for snow, but when you walk out of here, it will not be snowing. I can guarantee you that. So we don't create We don't recreate truth based on what we believe. Truth comes from God. We have to adapt ourselves to the truth that God has already revealed. Um, The fact is, there is a thing called objective truth. And when people say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, according to God, that is not true. Jesus said that it does matter. Acts, excuse me, book of John, uh, verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 24, says, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. You'll notice there's no wiggle room in that. Um, I mean, that's a pretty blunt and black and white statement right there. It doesn't give a lot of room for us to kind of say, well, you know, okay, maybe this or maybe that. No, he says, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. That's, that's pretty strong. Here's another one that Jesus said in John 3:36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life. That, again, is a very little wiggle room there. You either believe in the Son, and that is to say when the Bible talks about that, it's talking about not only that you believe Jesus existed, it means you have made him your personal Savior, and you're living your life according to, to the following of his Spirit. Then he says, uh, the wrath of God abides upon the individual who does not believe. There again, that's a very black and white statement that is not well received in a culture like ours today because we today don't embrace truth. Truth becomes very has become very relative. So it's not the act of believing that is important. We talk a lot in this church about faith. What I want you to know, it's not faith that's the most important. It's what you have your faith in. That's what is important. It's what you accept as truth. Now, if you, if you sit there and you say, well, I don't believe that, that is your right. You can say that if you want, but that doesn't change the truth because you don't believe it. And it, and it doesn't mean that the truth is not true because you or I choose to not believe it. Now, I talked about this kind of concept on an Easter Sunday about three years ago. And I normally don't, frankly, remember all the sermons 
that I preach, or most of the sermons I preach, because I've preached so many through the years. But for some reason, when I was working on this message, what what I talked about uh, three years ago in an Easter message, which, by the way, has more to do with the resurrection of Christ, obviously, because it's an Easter Sunday. But it gets down to the basics of what we believe. And I I, I just want to read for you again. I didn't read it when I preached it. I preached it. But I'm going to read what I said uh, a, f- a few words back in on Easter a couple of years back that I think will, will bear out some of these thoughts. This is what I said. I have to first of all tell you that I cannot prove the claim that Jesus is alive today. I think any fair-minded person would concede that Jesus lived and died by Roman hands about 2,000 years ago. But the claim that Jesus rose from the grave and is alive today is not provable. You see, you cannot take faith out of faith. But that's okay, because we're all people of faith. I don't just mean us as Christians. I mean all people are people of faith. It's just a matter of where you place your faith. Me, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today, that he has got an answer to a world gone terribly wrong, and that he is the answer to every human heart. Now, I believe that because of what he has done for me. He completely changed me. From the inside out. The problem with most people is they equate religion with Jesus. So to them, being a part of the right church or doing the right religious things in life or just doing good is what it means to be right with God. And since most people can't be good enough, they give up and they say Jesus isn't for them. They want to, they want to be better but just can't seem to put it together. And I understand that. I couldn't either. For years I tried to do the right thing, only to end up frustrated and defeated. Until I moved past religion and allowed Jesus to get into my heart, that's when I found out he's more than a religion. My my religion didn't change me. The good I tried to do didn't change me. It wasn't until I let Jesus come into my heart and started living for him that I found out he really is alive. That's when I began to change from the inside out, and he gave me the power to do it. I can't prove to you that he is alive, but I know that he is. And maybe you think, well, that's not good enough for me. I don't want to live by faith. But I'm telling you, you live by faith all the time. Everything isn't provable before it's accepted. You go to bed at night with faith that the sun will come up the next morning. You trust that it will primarily because it has every day of your life up to now. But it's still faith. You had faith that your car would get you here today. For some of you, that took more faith than others. Or that the seat that you're sitting on would hold you up when you sat down. You have faith that you'll still have your job tomorrow. You have faith that the one who said they love you today will still love you tomorrow. And even if you don't believe in God, you have faith that your atheism is true. You won't know for sure until you step into eternity and find out there's nothing, there's nothing out there, and that you were right. Of course, if if you are right, then you won't really know anything when you get out there because it'll be all over. Okay, but anyway. Or that you find out that God is there and eternity is real and Jesus really is God and that you and I will give an account of our lives to him. Bottom line, we are all faith people. It's just a matter of who or what you put your faith in. Now, I'm not a philosopher, so that's about as philosophical as I get. But the point that I am trying to make to you this morning is simply this. We are all people of faith, all of us. 
We all believe something. But it matters what you believe because what you believe will affect your eternity. When we started this little series on filters a few weeks ago, I told you we're going to look at three, of, three filters that we need to invest in our lives that I saw in the life of David that will help us to, be, to live up to our fullest potential. And the first one was simply this, filtering what you believe about what people say about you, how David had to do that because not everybody was up for him being king, and he had to filter out what some people were saying and filter in what God was saying to his life. So that was essential. You got to do the same thing. You got to filter out what people are telling you that, that, that may try to sabotage what God wants to do in your life. Secondly, last week we talked about filtering your choices, making sure that you choose to do what's right and not just what's easy or convenient in our world today. So God put filters on us, you know, Lord, put a filter in my heart that helps me to make right choices with my life, not just what's easy. And then the third one is what we want to talk about today, this idea of truth, filtering what you accept as true in your life. Because you're going to be making a thousand different choices, decisions every day based on what you believe to be true and believe to be right for your life. So that requires, it mandates that you and I have a filter to make sure that what we accept as true really is. We want to make sure. Now, there's this little one-chapter book at the end of the New Testament. The last book of the New Testament is the book of Revelation. The book right before the last book is a, is a very small book. It doesn't mean it's unimportant. It's just one chapter. And it's a book called the book of Jude. And it was written to a group of believers in an area of the world that we would know today as being the country of Turkey. And in verse number three of that verse, uh, Jude makes a powerful statement to us as believers today. He says, Dearly loved friends, I had been planning to write you some thoughts about the salvation God has given us, but now I find I must write of something else instead, urging you to stoutly defend the truth that God gave once for all to all his people to keep without change through the years. So he starts to write his book. In other words, this is a process. And he thinks to himself, I'm going to write to these believers to encourage them. And this is what I want to write about. But when he gets around to writing the book, the Holy Spirit begins to redirect him. And he says, I'm finding out from God that I need to talk to you about something else. And he says, what I need to talk to you about is stoutly defending in a lot of your English translations, it'll use the word contend. It'll say, contend for the faith. How it states it in this rendition is stoutly defending the truth that God gave to us as his people. And, and so from that verse, there are a couple of thoughts that, I, that jump out to me that I want to talk with you about today that I think are important uh, for us to understand in this thing called filtering truth. Number one, there is a truth that never changes. Some things that are purported to be true, they change. If something that is stated to be true changes, it was not true in the first place. Truth never changes. Look at the last part of that verse again. It says, the truth that God gave once for all to his people to keep without change through the years. All right, let's break that down just a little bit. 
The first thing I would say about this is that God gave us the truth. So the truth didn't come from a committee. The truth didn't come from a man. The truth didn't come from a group of people. The truth came from the heart of all-loving God himself, who himself never changes. Second Peter chapter 1 says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet. Not, not a true prophet. No word from a true prophet ever came from the prophet. It came not from his own understanding but, or from his own initiative, but it, it came as he was moved upon by the Holy Spirit. He spoke as the voice of God to his people. That's the voice of the true prophet. So there is an objective truth that comes from God himself, and because it comes from God himself, the second truth is also true. Uh, is true, it doesn't change, which is what I said earlier. True truth doesn't change. If it does change, it is not truth in the first place. So some people believe in, in something called continuing revelation from God. And what they say is that God continues to modify his truth and then reveal that truth to us. All right, I want us to think about it that a minute. Because in reality, what that means is that God is changing his mind about what he has said earlier. If, if there is continuing revelation, then God is changing his mind uh, about what he said earlier. He's modifying it and then letting us know what the new truth is. But Jude says the true truth, if I can use that word, not the false truth, but the true truth that God gives is kept, look at that, without change through the years. It never changes. Now, you say, why do you believe that truth never changes? I'll tell you why. Because if truth comes from God, it is consistent with the nature of God. He never changes himself. There's one word that jumps out in, in the Bible in talking about God. Uh, there are many words, but one of them is the word immutable. And the word immutable simply means unchangeable. God is immutable. He cannot be changed. Nothing can change him. He doesn't need to change. Why? Because he's already perfect. You only need to change if you're not perfect, if you need to improve. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. That's pretty black and white right there as well. So if God does not change, if God does not get better, if God does not need to improve, then it just makes sense that his word does not change, his word does not get better, and his word does not need to improve. Truth doesn't need to be improved upon. It is true. So the truth that God gives us in his word never changes, and it's because it's based on him and his character, and his nature. And because it never changes, the second truth I want to give you, the second idea filter here, is that truth must be upheld and defended as true. Verse Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that's in you. You do it with gentleness, you do it with respect, but you still are, you need to be prepared with the truth within you. Okay, now let's go back to Jude verse 3 again. The word that Jude uses here, I mentioned it to you just a little bit earlier, which more often you'll find in English translations is the word contend. 
Contend for the faith. The word contend literally means to struggle for something. It means to agonize over something. You get the idea of the passion involved in that. And it's really kind of an interesting uh, Greek word. It has real ties back into the military. So it, it works well on Memorial Weekend for us to talk about this. And, in other words, it's, it's the same word that would be used with the idea of two, two men on opposite, in opposite armies in hand-to-hand combat each of them trying to survive the combat and trying to destroy the life of the other so that they so with equal force with with everything within them they are fighting one another to try to come out on top because to lose this battle means to lose life that's what the word contend means that's what the that's why the word agonize and struggle are a part of the meaning. It gives you this image back into the military. So what I'm saying is that the effort that two men would use to struggle with each other to win in combat uh, is, the Bible is saying, is the same kind of effort that we as believers need in declaring the truth and in defending the truth. And it needs to be an impassioned thing within us. That doesn't mean you do it in exactly the same way as somebody else, but it does mean that there is a passion within you that says that, that this truth must be defended. And here's what I mean. So we live in this culture today that is incredibly inclusive. And inclusive is nice when it comes to, you know, including people and loving people. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it takes it to, the, to this level where it says that all ideas are now inclusive. All ideas are now valid. All ideas are of equal value. Now, I will tell you that men lived or fought in wars and died, and men and women died in wars in order to prefer, uh, preserve our freedom of speech. So I think that all men and women have the right to speak what, what is in their heart and what is on their, their mind. It doesn't mean it's always wise to do it, but they do have the right to do that. But we have taken it to the next level, which says that everybody's idea is equally valid or equally valuable compared to, to, to virtually what God has said. So our ideas are on the same level as God's ideas, and, and that is simply not true. And so you'll hear this a lot, that uh, from, from people, you know, they'll, they'll say, don't judge me because this is my truth, and I'm comfortable with this, you know. But, but the reality is that what, what is truth to you, as I've already stated, might be an error. But in today's culture, we believe that uh, we believe in relativism, which means that your truth is your truth, but it may not be my truth, so don't try to tell your truth to me because I'm comfortable with what I have, you know. And we can all have our different truth and live like that. And it, it, it just doesn't work. And, and the deal is with Christians is this can become very intimidating to believers. It can even influence some believers into thinking that there is no universal, there is no objective, there is no fundamental truth out there for them to build their lives on or their families on. What I'm telling you is that is not true. There is a truth that is solid through the ages. It's never changed. You can build your life on. It'll work for you. It'll work for every other human being. It'll work for your family. It'll work for every other family. That's the reason we send missionaries out. Because we want people to know the wonderful news about what Jesus Christ can mean to them. 
Jude is saying this inclusive kind of idea that all ideas are equally valid is not right. And he's saying it's not the way that we as believers should view the world. We are to view the world through the lens of God's word and defend it even in, in the face of cultural opposition that we may face today. Now, we do it with love. We certainly do it with love. And as Peter said, with gentleness and respect, but still, God's truth needs to be obeyed by his people. God's truth needs to be defended by his people. So this, here's how I believe this connects with David's life, because I, I've talked with about David uh, up to now, and you probably wonder how in the world does this <laughs> connect to David, but this is where I see the connection. Before David became king of Israel, David was uh, twice presented an opportunity to kill his predecessor, a guy by the name of Saul, to take his life so that he could ascend and become the king. Does that make sense? He could take Saul's life and become the king. If you, and two times he was given the opportunity to do that. Uh, what you have to understand is that Saul was out to kill David, so David's life was in jeopardy all the time, and it would sure have been easy to have justified when these two opportunities came to have taken his great nemesis life and allowed his life to be a little bit better in the process. But as far as David was concerned, he lived by a set of principles and, and uh, he, he lived on an objective truth that would not allow him to take matters into his own hands and, and, uh, and, and take Saul's life. In fact, one day, Saul and his men camped. They didn't know it, but they were camping near where David and his men were hiding. They're hiding from Saul. And Saul and his men are camped down there, and, Saul, and David and his guys see them down there. And so in the night, David says to his men, he says, who will go with me down to, to the camp of Saul and see you know, kind of what's going on, spy it out just a little bit? And this is what 1 Samuel 26 tells us. David and Abishai went into Saul's camp and found him asleep with the spear stuck in the ground beside uh, Saul's head, Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time. Abishai whispered to David, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? What an, what an attitude David had. I mean, wow, Saul has... If you know the story, Saul on many occasions thrown his spear at David, and David had to dodge to get out of the way. The spear's coming, pinned it in the wall. David ducked to get out of the way. I mean, this happened several times. Saul has been hunting him relentlessly. And David says, no, we will not take his life. Now, David understood the bigger picture, and that's what we've got to understand. God had placed Saul as king over Israel and had anointed Saul as for the job that he had. And even though Saul had been removed as, as the king in terms of God, God's favor upon him, God had lifted his anointing as far as David was concerned. It was God's business to relieve Saul from the throne. It wasn't his business to do it. In effect, David was considering and contending for what he believed, what he knew was right, what he knew in his faith dictated to his life. Saul was God's to deal with, not David's to deal with. 
And boy, we would be in a world of a lot better shape if we would all live that way and say, God, this person's yours to deal with, and, and I'm not going to be the one to try it. But that's another sermon. Well, the point is, you and I will face difficult times in life when it will be easy for us to compromise our faith and to not obey God. Let's face it, those times are out there. What I'm encouraging you to do as a believer in Christ, don't do it. Put the filters in place. Contend for your faith. Defend your faith. Uh, fight for your faith. You do it by defending uh, your faith, by obeying God and trusting Him to bring about the right outcome. Let God take care of it instead of you having to take care of it. That's how you contend for your faith. Now, in time, God dealt with Saul, if you know the story, but it still took God's favor to put David in the position of king over Israel. Just because Saul was dead didn't mean David became king. God had to work the angles to make that happen, which he miraculously did. I can't prove it, but I personally believe if David would have taken matters in his own hand, had killed Saul, God would not have helped David to ascend to the throne. Just my opinion. Sometimes it's real easy for us to justify doing something that we know God would not approve of. And that's why you've got to have these filters in place that will help you to understand what is the right thing for you to do, to keep you on track with what's right instead of what's easy or what's popular or part of culture. David had the, the filter of integrity in his life. Integrity just simply means that you're a person of your word. You do what you say. You do what you profess. It doesn't mean you're perfect. David wasn't perfect. But it does mean that you have a standard that you live by that guides and directs your life. So even when you think you can get away with it, you won't do it because you have a higher standard for your life. That filter in place will bring about God's blessing and favor upon your life. And whatever you think you would have gained by compromising, I will guarantee you in the long run, you will gain far more by following and obeying the word and the will of God. So if the enemy is trying to tempt you to do that, which would be compromise, and to take you down, kick him in the teeth today. And don't do it. Don't do it. Here's my life, Lord, with your Spirit's help and the power of your word. I'm going to live the truth that has withstood the time. Notice that Jude says here, he says this truth that we're called to defend is the truth that's been around since the beginning. Wow, it's been around since the beginning. In other words, it stood the test of time. It's reliable. You can trust it. It'll work for you. It's worked for millions of other people. It's going to work for you because it's from the heart of God. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.